Good morning, everyone. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team here at First Christian. I'm looking forward to spending some time together with you today. We're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew. It's a biography of Jesus. It's about this far through the Bible. I invite you to grab a Bible. That's, uh, if you're here in the West Auditorium, they're in the pew rack in front of you. To those who are in the East Auditorium, we're very glad you're with us today as well. I managed to catch some longtime friends over there today, so it's really good to have uh, all of you here in worship. In the East Auditorium, if you don't have a Bible, there's somebody moving around the room right now. I'd be glad to get one of those in your hand. And uh, before we get to Matthew 21, though, um, I want to tell you that throughout the message today, I'm going to bring you three kind of church business stuff, things that you need to know about in addition to the message. And so um, let, let me start with the first one, and that is that um, when it comes to next weekend, just be mindful that we'll have a ton of, a lot of people here, okay? So in that light, just want to keep you abreast of what's going on, all right? So on Friday evening, there are two identical worship services, Good Friday, one at six and one at seven. Obviously, the services will focus on Jesus' death. We've got a really quite a fascinating stage presentation of how his death impacts our lives today, right here in, off, off this stage, and uh, doing something we've never done in terms of how to present the story of Jesus' death on Good Friday. So, you know, there are times when you hear us say, don't miss this event, don't miss that, and then you hear it later on with regret, and you go, man, I wish I'd gone to that. Well, I want to tell you, you should come this Friday. Um, Remember what Jesus did for us, and um, we, we, what we have planned is very cool. Your kids will understand what we're doing, and I want to remind you that communion will be served on Friday night. And then beyond that, the weekend moving after Good Friday is, all, is you know, in, in our congregation, is always an exciting and a challenging time at the same time. So make note of the five services that are available and to also to invite, help you invite your friends. Um, last year we went old school. We, we provided you with some postcards like, like this and they're still around if you need them. But we thought with this week we'd go a little more new school and um, get you to use your cell phone if you would, if you want to invite some people. And with this idea in mind, the Apostle Paul said that we should always be wise in the way in which we act toward those outside the faith, if you will, those outside the church, that we should make the most of every opportunity and inviting friends and neighbors, co-workers and so forth uh, to Easter services is one of those really important opportunities. And so we, we want to, I just want to see if I can show you how this works, okay? So if, you're, if you have a cell phone with you today, I'm inviting you to get it out. By the way, do you need to see, do you need to see photos of my grandkids? There they are right there. People were asking me before the service, what about your kids? So if you're part of our texting service, you would have got a text um, this week that um, just yesterday that would have brought this up on your phone. Can you all see that? It says hope. You can't see that, but it does, all right? And if you click on that, if you do it right, I'll try and do it right here. It will help you copy that, and then you can send it out. You can tweet it. You can Twitter it or whatever you do, or all that sort of stuff, okay? And if you don't know how to do that, we've tested it on all the phones, all right? Firstdecatur.org slash invite. You can copy that, and then you can Facebook it and so forth and so on. If you go, I, I just don't know how to use my phone like that to that extent, we've got some brilliant experts lined up in the lobby ready for you. You know what they're called? Teenagers. Some teens wearing black shirts with yellow lanyards are going to be in the lobby. They'll be at a table just like this um, in the lobby between the two auditoriums, all right? We call them our tech ninjas, and so if you need help, they'll be out in the lobby. Take your phone to them and say, help, and uh, they'll make you look all 21st century when it comes to how what they can <laughs> Let's hope they send the right things to all your friends on your behalf, all right? 
You never know. Good luck with that, all right? So anyways, they'll set you up and get you all set for that. We'd like to really fill the place. Five services next weekend. So to step into scripture today, I want to start by um, pointing out some research that I came across recently about psychologists evaluating our lives, and, and they found some places where usually we feel uncomfortable, but we fake it. Uh, three areas particularly, apparently, where people fake, we, we kind of put on airs. First of all, the first situation where we, we go, well, I'm out of my element, but we, go, we go step into it anyway, and that, that's where we fake it is in the lobby of a high-dollar hotel. Secondly, uh, when we walk into a showroom that's giving, where they're selling new cars. And then thirdly, in a church or synagogue. And if I could just kind of venture to um, comment on those three places where psychologists say when it comes to people, these are the places where people fake it. You go to a high dollar hotel and you're like me, I'm sure. You know, I don't do it very often, and I mean, very rarely, as a matter of fact. Or you go to the city, you know, the big city, and you know you're going to have to have a valet take the car. Does that feel weird to anyone? It always feels weird to me. You pull up, and the, the bellhops come running, and they want to get your luggage. And you, wanna, you have a number of questions in mind. First of all, where is my luggage going? Is it, will I ever see it again? And how much am I supposed to pay? Is this going to be expensive? Couldn't I carry my own luggage? And then when they take your car, don't you wonder, is my car doing laps? Zing, zing, zing around some parking garage somewhere or other, right? You wonder that. It feels just weird. But then you walk in the hotel, you go, I do this all the time, hoping that the receptionist people there will give you the penthouse suite for your hot wire dollars. But it never works that way, does it? But nonetheless. <laughs> or let's talk about a car dealership. Right, Carrie? Carrie runs a big fancy hotels on the West Coast, so she knows all about this. There you go. So you're visiting us. Nothing like getting called out, right? Right in church, right? There you go. Let's move on and talk about the car dealership, okay? You walk in the door, and, and uh, the sales, whoever's going to, the salesperson walks your way, and they're going to start talking to you about torque. What's torque? Anybody know what? Isn't, isn't that a cake, a multi-layered cake? Oh, that's a tort. It might as well be torque as far as I understand these things. And turning radius. Well, I don't know the difference between a 21 or a 25-foot turning radius. What's that? Cubic feet in the trunk. You mean there was somebody inside the trunk with the trunk closed with a tape measure doing this? What's with that? Uh, here's what I want to know. Where do I put the key? Do I even own a key anymore, right? <laughs> Secondly, what colors does this come in? When I put my foot on the clutch, on the, on the accelerator and release the clutch, will it move forward? Mostly, when I, how expensive is this? Is that you? And yet you stand there, oh yes, I was wondering about the torque. You were not. <laughs> you were not. And then you go to church, and you go, well, I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to pretend I've had a great week, and I'm just, I'm the world's best person, and who are we kidding? We all know. Well, I can speak for myself. I'm faking it today. I am. I get up here in this, on this stage weekend after weekend, and I go, if these people only knew how I really live my life, what right do I have to say, this, thus saith the Lord? We come to church and we go, do we really have what it takes? Well, here's what I'm aware of. 
that God is pleased that each one of us is here today, that we're part of this worship service, and that we no longer have to fake it. At least in this building, you don't have to fake it. No more, guys. As a matter of fact, I'm going to see if we can unpack that with you today in Matthew chapter 21, okay? Jesus triumphal into Jerusalem, into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, here it is. Matthew 21, as they, Jesus and his disciples, approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. So this is, this is less than two miles from Jerusalem. If you've been to Israel, the Mount of Olives, you can walk from the Mount of Olives to the city center of Jerusalem in about 25 minutes. It's down one hill, a small valley, and up the other side, okay? So they come to the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples to them, saying, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them. He'll send them right away. Now remember, as we've been making our way through Matthew of late, I've been saying that Matthew as a writer will consistently refer back to what we would call Old Testament stories or in Jesus' day, the scriptures of the Hebrew people. He'll repeatedly go back to them to say, see, remember years ago we were told something would happen. Now it's happening and it's always to try and connect Jesus to how he is the the, the long-awaited Messiah. So this took place, verse 4, to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the fall of a donkey. So, in other words, what, what we were told to expect centuries ago, it's right in front of us, all right? And so the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, perhaps you're aware, here on Palm Sunday, or as this event is taking place here in Matthew 21, this is just days before Jesus' earthly ministry ends. It's not where we've been looking at late. Of late as we've been making our way through the book of Matthew, this biography of Jesus, if you will. We, we, we left off last week in chapter 8, and we've moved forward to chapter 21 today, and we'll move forward again next week, um, and then we'll eventually make our way back to the beginning. But given the season of the year, it felt best to move that way. And incidentally, we have a plan for you. As I said, I had two, three things I wanted to bring to you. Here's number two. Um, we, we have a way in which you can make your way through Holy Week this week before you get to Good Friday. In Psalm 26, David says, I was always aware, I'm always aware of your unfailing love. I want to be certain that this week you are aware of Christ's unfailing love for you as you're fully aware of what, where you're walking from Sunday through Good Friday through Sunday of next week. So what we've done is, from the book of Matthew, so that seems apropos given what we've been looking at of late, we're providing t- with you um, a series of readings that you could walk through daily. And you'll go through five or six chapters between now and Good Friday, all right? If, you're, if you receive our texts, it will lead you through it. You'd, all you have to do is text the words first to decade, first decade to 24587. If you're already part of our texting service, that's coming your way anyway. If you'd like to join that, we have some 900 people who get that daily. We'd invite you to do that. If you're not into all of that, these same readings are available at the welcome desk today, at both welcome desks uh, following the service, okay? 
And that, there'll be good reflection and good preparation for our services on Good Friday and then into um, Easter next weekend. And so what we have here in Matthew 21 is the beginning of that whole process. This is the end of Jesus' ministry. The people around him have, have traveled with him. A lot of them have. Though there have been crowds who have been healed, who have been cared for by him, have he's had teaching and leading, and now we are literally days away from his execution. But at this very moment in Matthew 21, the execution is not on the minds of the masses around him. Right now, he is a man for the masses. Now, the leaders of Israel, they may have, we know, that they disclaimed his methods in his ministry, but certainly not the ordinary folk. Certainly not the folk who go into a fancy, to a lobby of a high-dollar hotel and go, wow, or you pull up and you don't know what to do with the valet service. The ordinary folk like that, okay? But they do know this. They know their lives have been touched. They are thrilled he is coming to Jerusalem. They're hoping that Jesus can turn their political and their religious world upside down. They think it's a new day, and it is, but it's not in the way they expect, because within days, this story is going to turn extremely ugly. For now, Jesus is the recipient of all their good wishes of all the, and all their praise, but sadly, the people of that day were looking through a distorted lens of history. They misread the headlines. I mean, here's this parade, this pageant of this, what they think is the new king coming into town. They think someone's going to come, and there's, you know, this Jesus guy from Nazareth, he's going to change our corporate, our national life, our political life. Everything's going to turn upside down. We'd put it this way these days, that their, if you'd say it this way, their Twitter accounts were full of stuff, but the Twitter accounts that they were paying attention to were all putting out fake news. See, they participated in the pageant, but failed to realize this pageant has eternal consequences. It's, it really is this upside-down kingdom that we've been studying of late as we've been looking at the early days of Jesus' ministry. They simply wanted a regular kingdom approach. They wanted a king throwing out the Romans. You may be aware the Roman army was occupying Jerusalem at this moment, and they want to get rid of the foreign occupation. And we know that Jesus had a different kingdom in mind. It was an occupation of, for sure, but not the Roman army. Instead, Jesus wanted his kingdom, his spirit, to occupy the hearts and lives of everybody who was in Jerusalem and Israel. And our privileged hindsight now, we are privileged because we get to look back. We can get, if you will, a, a more 2020 vision of what happened. It informs us that Jesus wanted an occupation of the heart. And the procession that takes place in Matthew 21 is, frankly, the beginning fulfillment of what he'd stated months earlier. Remember when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, what did he say? Seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness and all sorts of things. And we looked at those, you know, the things like life and liberty and happiness and sustenance and soul wellness. He said, seek God's kingdom first, and then all the things that this crowd is looking for, they'll be added to you. But start with God's kingdom first. And so the people wave branches. Absolutely, they do. They didn't realize it was a parade of eternal proportions. And we know it's a parade of eternal, eternal consequences. And who are we kidding? It was fascinating watching as I stood right here as the little kids are doing that. Some of you going, oh, I don't know if I can. That's so Christianese. That's so weird. I can't do that. Some of you could. But if we realize that the coming of Jesus Christ has eternal consequences, isn't it worth doing that at least? 
Isn't it worth, at least in this church, this is not going to shock anybody ever. Because we too should be celebrating and participating in this parade. Not only because we recognize next week is uh, what will be the victory over death, but because we recognize Jesus' power and knowledge in this regard, that Jesus is omniscient and he knows far more than us, and that's worthy of praise. That's worthy of declaring, hey, I get to know God through Jesus Christ, and this God knows all there is to be known and all there is to be not known. Let me see if I could explain to you how I saw that again just in recent days. Last week, we suggested to you that those who had needs in the life of our church, in the context of that worship service, would they consider standing and, and letting people pray for them? And in the staff meetings that have taken place this past week, um, we marveled at literally the hundreds upon hundreds of people who willingly stood to say, I need God to intervene in this setting or that setting or my friend's life in my life. And there was something within all of us that said, God knows about this. There was a very powerful moment, I think a watershed moment for many in our congregation. You know why? God knows your need even before you express it. Last week, people expressed needs, and I can hardly wait to hear how all that's playing out in the lives of the hundreds of people who responded last week. See, it's not only that God knows how each molecule in your body forms and combines to create what we call human. It's not only that God knows the intimate details of how the planets spin or how galaxies move or how black holes operate, but, instead, but beyond all of that, this God we worship in Jesus Christ is all-knowing, all knowing all there is to know knowing from before time was ever created to when time began to when time ends and what goes beyond that. beyond that, And he knows how far along in that history we are. And here's the really good news. He knows your beginning from your end. He knows how far along in your history you are. And he knows that your needs of yesterday may be different than your needs of tomorrow. And God knows. You say, well, Wayne, how are you pulling that out of? Well, fair enough, but where's that in Matthew 21? Well, you know, when, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, there were a number of people watching. The whole crowds were watching. There was a fellow by the name of Luke. Perhaps you're familiar with him. He wrote a biography about Jesus as well. He went back a few years later and interviewed a bunch of people said, hey, how is it? What was that a parade like? And in his gospel, in Luke's story of Jesus, he also gives an account of what happened as Jesus came into Jerusalem. But he added a detail a very important detail that Matthew didn't choose to include. Namely this, we read in the Gospel of Luke that when Jesus came into Jerusalem on the donkey, he began to weep over what he knew was coming to that fine city and to the people he loved. This is what we read in Luke chapter 19. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if, you, if, 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 you, if you'd only known on this day what would bring you peace. If you'd only know what I know, if you'd only known the real need you have and the way in which I could respond to it, but it's now hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you. They'll encircle you and hem you in on every side. They'll dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone unturned on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. 
And history, not just biblical history, but history tells us that within just a few decades of that, just a few decades after Jesus' entry into the city of Jerusalem, the Romans did exactly what Jesus had predicted. They completely annihilated the city. They, they, they destroyed it. Jesus was saying, hey, you need to be aware. I know you're suffering now, but if you'd only realize that your suffering is going to get worse if you don't pay attention to what I'm saying and to who I am. Jesus knew all about those troubles, and it absolutely happened. And in omniscient knowledge, he knew of the future devastation that would visit the city. And in compassion, it says, he wept, even knowing that they would reject him within a few hours. You know, friends, I suspect that Jesus still weeps over the struggles in our world. Surely didn't the God of heaven weep this week? when he and the whole world watched what happened in Syria to those children? I don't know all the stories of it. I don't know what's truth and not truth in that. But I do know this. People suffered. And God weeps when his people suffer. For all the advances of our modern and technological world in which we can pull out our phones and say, I want to send an email to somebody to invite them to Easter. For all of that, people still suffer. For, all the fact that we've, for the fact we've been able to eradicate all sorts of diseases in our modern era. People still suffer. And as the people of God, we are called to impact that suffering, aren't we? We are called to say, we won't just watch it. We won't just see it in our neighborhoods. We won't just see it in our community or in our world, but we'll do something about it. So here's our third bit of business for us to look at this morning. A brief notice in that regard. In the weeks ahead, we're going to step into a one-weekend event on May 17th and attempt to bring the suffering of some people to a little lower level. You know that we work a great deal in Kenya and Cuba. We send teams there for lots of times. Uh, we just had a team return from Cuba two or three weeks ago. We send them to Cuba and to Kenya to care, to do construction. We send medical teams. There's a medical team headed to Kenya in just a few weeks from now. When those teams go, all the people on those teams pay their own way, all right? They cover the costs of their travel, their housing, some of the food, and their incidental costs. But when they go, we also need to supply them with supplies. If they're building, we need to be certain they've got funds when they get there, or so we send someone ahead, or the Kaziers in Kenya will buy building materials. If it's, if it's to go to, um, to, to Cuba, you know the guys who went to Cuba a few weeks ago? They took 1,200 pounds of plumbing supplies in their luggage. Don't you love that? Don't you wish you'd been that customs guy who opened up? What's that? Oh, those are wax rings for toilets, sir. <laughs> it's a great story. I wish I had a photo of that. When they go, we try to supply them with what they need, okay, as a church. And uh, like when, when the team will go to Kenya in a few, few weeks from now, we'll send them with hundreds of pounds, literally thousands of dollars worth of medicines and uh, bandages and all sorts of stuff because where they work, we're way out in the bush. We are off the beaten track by two or three hours off the highway and people walk for days to come and get a Tylenol. So in the weeks ahead, here's a heads up. I'm suggesting we all come together to raise $50,000 in one weekend. Um, and the fund will be used for supplies for a number of upcoming trips. And I want you to watch more, for more of that uh, on the other side of Easter. But I'm telling you now, so that you begin planning, what part are you going to do to help alleviate suffering through that endeavor? 
Because if you think about it, that was Jesus' primary mission on earth, to alleviate suffering. The suffering of the present life, of the people here, of our present life, and our lives in eternity. He's impacted the life of eternity and your life in eternity through his work on the cross. He impacted the suffering of his day through his teaching and through his healing. And we are people who are called to carry on that same ministry through our teaching and healing. That's why we send people from our congregation into our own community in the hundreds and overseas, literally now in the hundreds as well. Because people's suffering impacted Jesus. And there's a view of it that we see so clearly as he entered into Jerusalem. In Luke 19, it says, he wept. He wept. If that was Jesus' view as he entered Jerusalem, that he wept, then how are we this week going to enter into Jerusalem, if you will? How are we going to walk through the coming days? Then our view of Holy Week needs to be this, that as Jesus purposely moved into Jerusalem, as he purposely moved to the cross in compassion with tears of weeping, then we need to pay attention. I'm, I know we all love Easter. We all love the victory over death. We all love to sing those songs, and we will. But between now and then, between the kids waving and us maybe doing that, let's not fake it. Let's not, or let, let me put it in the positive, let's choose to walk through the week. Let's choose to remember that this leads to victory over death, but it's kind of this way, not this way. This week, think through the implications of Jesus' willingness to come into Jerusalem on my behalf and your behalf. Because the reason we gather here today, well, let me ask you, why are you here today? Why are you at First, why are you at First Christian Church today? What caused you to get into a vehicle to drive across town or maybe many miles more than just across town? What caused you to get, pull into the parking lot and say, I'm going to walk across the parking lot, I'm going to go through the lobby, and I'm going to sit in a seat? Why today? Why now? Particularly since apparently it's in moments like this that, you know, like in high-dollar hotel lobbies and new car showrooms and church synagogues, it's particularly those are the times that we tend to fake it. Remember that? Why are you here today? Can I give you an answer? You're here to walk with Jesus to the cross, to learn of his care for you. You don't have to fake that. That's what this week is all about, the implications of God's care for us. I know some of those impl implications. I know maybe not all of them, but I do know this. I know of God's grace in Jesus Christ and forwarded by the, by the cross, and I don't have to fake that knowledge. I know of God's ongoing care in regards to direction and leadership and insight for today and tomorrow, insight into my world and even the larger world. And I know that without faking it one bit, I know that God cares for you. See, long before you showed up here today, God's care was already extended to you. You don't have to fake that you knew it. I don't know if you know, knew that before you walked in the door today, if you knew that God cared for you. I don't, I, it frankly doesn't matter. I want you to learn it today. If you've heard it for weeks, for six decades, or this is the first time you've heard it, hear this very clearly. The God of heaven weeps over your struggles the Jesus Christ of the, parade, of the parade of Jerusalem died for your struggles. And you no longer have to fake that. Know it beyond the shadow of a doubt.
You see it right here within Scripture. Rest in his care for you. Be aware of this. The omniscient God, the all-knowing God of the universe, if he's all-knowing, he knows all there is to know about you. The all-knowing God of the universe wants to be engaged in your life this week. That's really good news. Let's pray together. God, I pray for my friends here at First Christian today. Lord, some people are here and they've been here for decades upon decades. 60, 70 years. And then, Lord, for some, this is their first time they ever step in the doors of this building. In either situation, God, I pray that all of us would be reminded again of your care for us in Jesus Christ. He came into Jerusalem a lot of years ago, and a lot of people were really thrilled about that, and we we get that, and we saw our kids express it. But Lord, beyond that, this is more so this understanding that he came so that we we would experience your knowledge of us. In the deep places of our souls, God, May your Holy Spirit pour, well, in some cases, God, there's scar tissue there, and I pray that you would pour a, a, a balm of, of ointment over those scars, Lord, and bring healing. In the places, God, where people, they've yet to experience the forgiveness of, of their stuff, their sin, Lord, may all of us find forgiveness in you through Jesus Christ. And Lord, for the events that are in front of us this week, yeah, we've got stuff we have to do and we have to go to work, we have to go to school and we have to do things in the neighborhood, in the house, with the family. And we'll do all of that, God. But we also want to remember that Jesus came and there was a period of time between the triumphal entry and uh, Easter and the days in between were very difficult. We're not going to rush through that, God. We're not going to revel in it at least not in a celebratory way, but in a way that remembers that we are known by you because that's why Jesus came. We thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen.